Welcome to Comically Comics, your one-stop listen to all things comics. We're talking books, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. I must forewarn you, though, we are a spoiler cast, and what that means is we consider all properties, past, future, and present to be valid, and we will spoil the hell out of them. I'm your host, Michael, along with my two co-hosts, Richard and Jeremy, and with all that being said, let's get started. All right, it is April 16th. Today, we have got TMNT, The Last Ronin. We're going to go through all five issues, do a review of this awesome, in my opinion, amazing book. Me being a TMNT fan, this is something I definitely had to pick up when it came out, but never actually put it in the forefront of reading. So glad we did this as a podcast. So yeah, y'all want to go over, let's do Whelms. What is y'all's whelming of this book? So we're going like the whelming of the whole series? Whole series. The whole shebang. Okay. I am overly whelmed. I was... Uh, really? I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, uh, I mean, wow. I, I never read any TMNT stuff as a kid or anything like that. I mean, I never really read comics anyway, but you know, out of the ones that we've been reading, I really enjoyed the story. It was, it kept me engaged, kept me wondering what's going to happen next kind of thing. And of course, loved the art in it. It was just, yeah, definitely an all around, very good read for me. Cool. All right, Richard, what's your, what's your whelming? I was pleasantly whelmed by this. I enjoyed it a lot. It's good. It's really, really good. It's not without its flaws, but we'll get into that. But yeah, I liked it. It's really good. All right. I was pleasantly whelmed as well, just because it's sad. So (laughs) it's really sad for me. (laughs) Like, especially like issue two. I'm like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I figured you'd you'd hate issue two. (laughs) All right. So let's get into this. Let's start off with issue one. Wish for death. Got a little synopsis here. And I didn't want to spoil it while saying the synopsis. So I don't know if we want to kind of go the whole podcast without spoiling it. Or if we want to just go ahead and right after this issue, you know, at the end of this issue, be like, fuck it, it's this turtle. Yeah, I mean, I would, it's spoiled by the end of issue one. So if anything, let's just wait, like, till we get to that moment. But yes, uh, Yes. like, people can just Google it if they really are that hard (laughs) up on it. it. It immediately will tell them. All right, it goes like this. A turtle goes to infiltrate the penthouse of Shredder's grandson. You can tell he is not like right mentally talking to people who aren't there. You don't know which turtle it is. He fails and gets pushed out of a window, surprised to have survived his fall. He attempts to honor his family, but passes out to wake up in an old lair with the face of a familiar friend. So I love how they start off like this book starts off not really backstory or anything like that. You get you get a turtle. You'd have no idea which one it is because they're wielding all the weapons of all the brothers. And it's action packed. Like I said, it's it's, you get in there. He's crazy. He's nuts. But he's like he's a turtle on a mission. And it's just just to get there fighting everything. And it's I don't know. It's badass. And I, I was like, I said, I was really sad at the end of it because I was like, no, like you can't, like this is the first issue. You can't off yourself like that. Like that's not cool. Like I understand, yeah. but that's not cool. Yeah, he's he's trying to commit seppuku because he failed to take down Shredder's grandson. Her, what's his name? It's Oroku Hiroto, and uh, he's the son of Karai, which we talked a while back about Karai. I thought. I always thought Karai was uh, Shredder's niece, but I guess it's his daughter, which makes more sense. Yeah. He's taken over New York City, or excuse me, not New York City. He's taken over is it Manhattan, the island, just the island part. Yeah, I guess yeah, so. I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's, I don't know. It wasn't clear to me. Like, I never got it. So The the brothers, we, we know one turtle has survived. The, the rest of the brothers have died. And this one turtle is is out for revenge. He's going to take down the person that supposedly killed the other turtles. And in this first issue, he fails. And as you said, he meets a familiar face. I don't know if we want to get into who that person is. But yeah, and it's it's a really cool first, like, banger of a first issue just to get yeah. you hooked. It's really great, this first issue. I love this first issue so much. <laughs> what do you got, Jeremy? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I really do too. I mean, because obviously not, again, not reading it, like reading anything other than this, it just jumps straight in there. And 
you obviously realize that within just a few first few pages that it's just a lonely turtle that something apparently happened and you know he's even only has the uh has the black mask over his eyes and that type of thing so you can't you can't picture who who it is you don't know who it is exactly and so yeah it's it just it's part of the thing i was talking about where it just it, it goes ahead and pulls you in immediately to where you're like for me i'm wanting to know what happened to these to the other turtles and to to splinter like if there's no there was nothing before nothing leading up it's just right into it and so those i really enjoy those because some of those ones that take the time to do the backstory and build up to it can just really drag on sometimes so (laughs) i like this one where it just kind of jumps in there and gets going yeah when we do get backstory as the issues go on, so like, do y'all like that? Do y'all like like as we're getting more issues and stuff like that that we're actually getting the backstory along with the current story that's going on? Yeah, I do. I like I, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to put my my thoughts in line here a little bit about it, but I like it just kind of kind of getting tossed in there here or there. But sometimes it's like, okay, I want to know. It just kind of cuts off, and like you want to know a little bit more. And I, I like I do like in the in the art for it though, like that it they change it to that black and white theme and kind of change up the way the turtles are drawn a little bit and things like that. So it also helps kind of put in your mind that going back in time and seeing those the history of it. Yeah, I'm to an extent, like as we get onto some of the issues, there's a moment where I'm like, oh, okay, I don't like what are we doing? Like, like <laughs> I think it's issue four. It's when they 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 have the siege onto um slight spoilers Baxter Baxter Stockman's like island and yeah. then there's like a a jump back into things and I'm like what what are we what what's happening here I don't care about this <laughs> yeah I mean I do because I want to know how but like at the same time I'm like you could have told that in another issue or something but yeah no for the most part I like it like this first issue like I said it's really great I like how they they set it up all right. I got something that I want to ask Jeremy as we get further into this, talking about with the black and white drawings. Yeah. So don't worry. We're going to talk more about that as we get to it. There's just none of that in this actual issue. Yeah. So yeah, the familiar face. The familiar face is April O'Neil. She has survived, not without damage. Definitely aged. But Oh <laughs> yeah. my gosh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like, my note is April looking rough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not even talking about like the prosthetic leg and hand, but oh like <laughs> just her face in general. I'm like, ooh, you, ooh, the Subarus have not been kind to you. And no, <laughs> no, they have not. Like the uh, the trope, I think it's in two issue two where they reveal that she's missing an arm and a leg. But the, that whole trope of like you got to tell in a, in an alternate future timeline when when shit's gotten bad, someone's lost a limb. Looks like right. April. The the card fell for April or something like, because she's missing both an arm and a leg. But yeah, she she looks rough, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So the turtle, the turtle that has made it out. When you're reading it, when you're first reading it, who do you think it is, or who are you hoping, and who do you think it is, just based off the story alone? Before you get to the end, I mean, for me, like just reading it, I kind of first thought it was going to be like Raphael, just because it kind of had his. Seemed like to have his mood, like mopey, and then the, the whole talking to you him. Bite so. your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the the brooding and like all that the kind of stuff. Head. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like it'd be be him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when reading this, so I had it spoiled, but I'm trying to think when I was originally like hearing about the story. More than likely, I would have thought it was it would be Raphael because Raphael is all about like Mister Revenge. Literally, we t- we see that exact same sort of plot line in the next issue. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I'd probably say I, like everyone assumed it was going to be Raphael by yeah. I think like most people looking like on Reddit and things like that talking about when these issues were first coming out. It seemed like most people were thinking it was Raphael as well. That was that was me. That was my hopes is that it was Raphael. So and that, like you said. Jeremy, the the way he was speaking and stuff like that, and very blunt and whatever else the case was, and yeah. sure of himself. Like I was like, oh, this is probably Raphael. No, we're all wrong. It's fucking Michelangelo. Like, <laughs> how does the fun loving turtle of the group? Well, <laughs> it makes sense as we yeah. read. It makes sense, but like, well, it, to me, it, it's a. I think so. 
Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman, a little bit back behind the 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 backstory to this, they writ, wrote this story, the like general kind of storyline for this back in 1987. This was supposed to be kind of like a, a titular ending to the story, uh, the turtle story. And I think they always wanted it to be Michelangelo because it's more heartbreaking to have the class clown, the silly one, like he's a broken man now, or in this yeah. case, a turtle, a mutant turtle. He's a broken mutant turtle. <laughs> and that makes it even sadder. Like this has very Dark Knight Returns, Logan vibes to it. Like it's yeah. this sad old man seeking revenge to like be redeemed so that he can, you know, he's on this suicide mission so that he can redeem his honor, his family, whatever it may be, which is very Raphael, honestly, but it makes more sense for it to, because like, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll mention what I mean by that when we get to the second issue, because it makes a lot of sense what happens in the second issue. Well, I, and I will go on and say that like Michelangelo is the heart of the group. Yeah. Like very much so. And so like that's part of it too, I believe. It's just that he is the heart of the group. He is the one that would sit there and, you know, basically see the the honor out all the way to the end kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Before we move on to issue two, I'll sit there and say that like if issue one, like if you pick up issue one and it just does not interest you at all, like you have no want or like you're not into this, don't buy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> don't... <laughs> <laughs> if, if issue one does not grab you, none of this other shit is going to make you want to want to buy that or read the rest of this. There's, there's nothing else I think that sticks out that's like, oh, this is this is where it really pulled me in. Like, if issue one for me doesn't do it on this story, I, I don't think you're going to get pulled in. Like, I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree on that. So, on to issue two, first to fall. And what I liked about this was like, you could kind of tell what was like, what turtle we're going to see the story of the backstory of based off the cover. And it was kind of sucked. Anyways, <laughs> we, we found out where Michelangelo has been since the rest of his family has died. We formally meet April's daughter and we also see how Raph has died. So that's what this whole like issue pretty much is about is giving a little backstory on Michelangelo, but at the same time telling the story of Raphael and how he died. And I'm not gonna lie, I was like, man, they did him dirty. They like it makes sense. The story they wrote made sense, but a fucking knife to the to the jugular into the I was like, man, fuck me. How how did they? I don't think they did him dirty. He took uh, out the entire like fucking foot plane yeah. and Karai. <laughs> he died doing it, but like he fucking took them all out essentially. I like when you see him as he's floating to the bottom of the Ugh. fucking river, he's got like fucking hundreds of arrows stuck in his <laughs> shell, him, whatever. I, I thought they, I personally, I think they did an amazing job with this because of course, Raph would be the first to go. Raph's Riff. always the hothead. Yes. He always gets anger and lets anger overtake him. Yes. His like judgment and then runs out and does something stupid. Yep. And I'm just like, of course <laughs> this would be what, what he would do. Okay. And like, I'm not saying that's, but like that's Eastman. Cause Eastman wrote this with, uh, I think Waltz. I can't remember. Yeah. Tom Waltz, uh, Peter Laird. They kind of went to him. He really, he helped write this script with Kevin Eastman way back in the day, but they just sort of went to him to get his blessing. And it was really Kevin Eastman who's still working on like some of the, or he's not anymore, but at the time, I think he was working on the like IDW run with- uh, Yeah, I think he's still on it. Tom Waltz. I, I think they keep his name on there, but I don't think he's actually, I don't know. I, I, from what I hear is like after like the hundredth issue or something, he kind of was like, you know what? I've kind of told all the the stories I want to tell. I got, but yeah, I know he still does the B covers for those comics. Yes, so. yeah, yeah. No, he definitely he'll pull out his his pen and and start drawing some art, which we see in this issue. Yeah, I fucking love <laughs> that they <laughs> like. I love that Kevin Eastman decided to do his own original turtle art from like the Mirage comic days for the flashbacks. I think that's so cool to me. So like, that's just his art style in general. I've seen him do like a Wolverine cover 
And it's that same, that same, just his, you look at it and you're like, oh, that's Eastman right there. Like, you know, for a fact, that's Eastman's artwork right there. That's just his art style. It seems like I'm not, I don't get me wrong. Love Kevin Eastman, love Peter Laird, met Kevin Eastman. He is an awesome, awesome guy. I'm not the biggest fan of his art style, but for them to use it for Michelangelo's memories, I like that. And I guess that's what I was going to get to, Jeremy, is, you know, you made a comment about seeing the the different changes in artwork as far as, like, memories and stuff like that and backup stories. Do you wish they'd done, like, the story of Raph in Eastman's, like, pen, but in color? Like, do you wish or do you like it that it was just, like, pretty much Michelangelo's memories that were in that art style, the black and white Eastman art style? So I I like that they kept the same art style for Raph's story and things like that. But there's there are times in it where I almost got kind of confused on where we were in the timeline. Yeah. Because there wasn't like any, I mean, I would have to kind of maybe go back and be like, okay, did it say like if we jump to a different time point here and things like that? Like I wish there was, I like keeping the, the different art style to just the memories because to me that's like in a memory it's it's most of the time you don't ne- you don't really necessarily remember all the fine details so in that in changing to that art style it it kind of it doesn't have as much detail in it and so to me it kind of helps in understanding that that's just a memory there but like with the raft it's like they actually went back in time and are playing it through there. I love that. I I hadn't even thought of it that way, that memories don't have the fine details. Yeah. I love that. That's freaking awesome. Like, I'm glad you brought that up because I never would have thought about that. Like, that's... Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. No, I love that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just... Like I said, it was just kind of my, my thought. But I do I do wish... that My one thing is there is I do wish there was some better... A little bit better cue. Maybe changing the color scheme a little bit or something to on whenever going back to Raph's story or something like that to just really notate that we're changing timelines here. Yeah. Define what time period we are in. Yeah. Yeah. The artwork itself like is freaking amazing throughout all these books. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I love, love, love the artwork. Yeah. Yeah. The artists, I think are two brothers, the S Corzas, I guess is how you say their last name, but they, they are the two, I'm not even going to begin to pronounce Isaac's one of them, but I'm not going to begin to pronounce the first name of the other one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the art's great. They did put like now, then kind of stuff. Yeah. But I agree. There should have been maybe something to slightly indicate that this took pa- it took place in the past and then this took place present day kind of thing. Cool. Y'all got anything else for this issue? <laughs> <laughs> I do, and actually, I kind of want to back up because for issue one, for just one tiny second, they gave us clues on who the turtle was, I think, before the reveal. And what I mean by that is by the dialogue with his brothers. I, I specifically have like a couple circled that feels very like, it's like, oh, that's one of the brothers. Oh, that's clearly one of the brothers. Oh, that's clearly one of the brothers. So by process of elimination, this is the turtle that's left over. And maybe that's just because I knew who it was going into reading this, but I don't know. One of the lines is, uh, how tough guy, grab a cab that's a long-ass hump and a mutant-packed head-to-toe with weapons don't exactly blend in. And then the next one says, he's right, we're inside the walls now. Security will be off the charts. Another line is, Wow, that was graceful. To me, that's that's such a like Raphael thing to say right there. <laughs> yeah. And then the well, next and the mutant humping it across with like the mutant packed with weapons. Like that's probably a Raph thing to say yeah. as well. And then talking about security, that's probably Donatello. Yeah, yeah. And then I hear check out those cables. We hack in, we might be able to download a map on this level. That's clearly yeah. a Donatello yes. like line. There's another couple, but yeah, I I just really I was like. I think they were trying to put in clues before you obviously find out who it is. But yeah. As far as issue two goes, uh, the biggest thing that I just wanted to talk about was when Raphael, this is just, I always try to find these. I think these are really cool. When Raphael is like running across, across the rooftops to get his revenge, we see he runs through the subway and we see two guys. 
and it says, you see that? And someone said, what? And it said, look like, never mind, that'd be too crazy. The two guys talking are Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, but they're drawn oh. like they were in the 1980s. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah. I gotta go back and look at that. I love that. Oh, that's cool. It's so cool. Oh, yeah. No, that, yes. I'm glad you brought that up. I never would have seen it. So, that's awesome. All right, on to issue three, Fight or Flight. We see Hirato's induction as the leader of the foot. Hirato activates martial law on the city. Fugitoid and... The, we get the backstory of what happened to him. April, Casey, Mikey, and Leo, Splinter and Donatello, are headed to Japan. Hirota is... I, at this point in time, you realize how crazy he actually is. <laughs> April shows Mikey she has been preparing for this fight for years. So, yeah. it was This was like a big, like, here's all the information you need kind of dump. Yeah. I felt like. And and now I'll, I'll say too, like on the you know, on the last issue on like the the last part of it, you know, April comes in with the head of uh Fugitoid. And at the end of that, I looked at it, I was like, I know this is probably supposed to have some kind of impact with this robot head, but I have no idea who the heck this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, F- Fugitoid he was around during like our era of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because I remember having an action figure of him, but he did not come along. Like he's not in any of the movies, not as far as I know. I haven't watched like all the current like movies, but um, he he's obviously in the comics. I'm pretty sure he's in every version of the cartoons at some point. He's definitely in the one back when like in the 90s, but he doesn't show up to like way later seasons. He's a uh, a person, like an not a person, a a different dimensional being that was working for Krang, the like brainy dude that's in the like the belly of a robot. I don't know if you know who that is, Jeremy, but uh, who? Anyway, there you go. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Krang is a very important being. I forget the name of his race right now, but anyway, uh, he looks like a brain. He's usually in the stomach of a big giant robot. Anyway, Honey, Honeywell, Honey, what's his honeycomb. name? Honeycomb. Honeycomb. Cut. That's it. Honeycomb was the name of the doctor. Oh, no, Honeycut. Sorry. Honeycut. That's it. All right. Honeycomb. I don't know. Anyway, Honey. <laughs> Jeremy had it. Woo. Honeycut <laughs> downloads his consciousness into a robot and then comes over to like our dimension for with the turtles and they they give him the name Fugitoid, which is like Fugitive and Android smushed together. Gotcha. Yeah. I remember that, that panel came up and she was just standing there holding it. And I was like, I'm sure this supposed to have some kind of impact on the readers, but not hidden home with me. <laughs> <laughs> it was also like an early like Eastman layered creation, if I'm not mistaken. And like the Fugitoid number one comic had an early appearance of the turtles in it that from what I was looking up, said that it continued on into like TMNT number five. Like the story continued on into that. So yeah, it's just a, a old throwback character for the turtles. Yep. Yeah, and this one, like whenever you're talking about the Hiroto, like really understanding his his issues, like he, he's got some, I got like some kind of little man syndrome or something going on there. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, this is where I, I, this is why I'm like, it has some issues. I think Hiroto, like, Hiroto is the worst villain. Like, and I don't mean like he's an evil person. I just mean he's lame as hell. Like, he's so <laughs> lame. Every issue, he looks different, first off. He looks like, I don't know, oh, like the fucking crow yeah. in the first issue. <laughs> the next issue, he's like shirtless with like weird, like kanji tattoos up and down his arm. This issue, when he's delivering the speech, he's wearing this, like, formal garb with, like, red paint over his eyes. And then the third issue, he looks different yet again. Uh, or fourth issue, whatever. The next issue after this, he looks different again. And then the fifth issue, he looks different. And I'm like, why is he changing constantly throughout <laughs> these, these issues? And then his, like, I don't know. It's just generic, like, I'm evil for the sake of being evil. You know what I mean? Like, it felt very, my note when he makes that speech was, it feels like Skeletor from the Masters of the Universe with <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. Like, it feels very much like it. the same thing happens. Like, he projects a big giant hologram to all the denizens of 
of Eternia and makes this big long speech. And anyway, it's just very much the same, which I get. Like this was created in the eighties, so it more likely would feel that way. But anyway, so so does he make Morlun better then? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, probably. I don't know. That, like those are apples and oranges, to be honest with you. He's not an energy vampire, but at least Hiroto has a cool like suit at the end of this, whereas. Morlun is just an asshole and an ascot. Like, <laughs> I will say, I, it was nice and refreshing to have a villain that was just a villain, not one that I had to relate to, not one that I honestly like needed to give a fuck about. Like, uh, this was not the story was not about the villain at all. This story was about Michelangelo and the villain. They just needed to have one, so yeah. I did like that. Like, I liked that he can be like this dipshit of a villain. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the the other issue that I had was the mom. Like Karai, Karai is very much like the, he keeps her in a tube, and he's like, "One day we'll find a cure." And I'm like, "For what? Being stabbed? Like what?" Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I don't know if it's in this issue or the second one, but I just remember you see Karai's in like a, a what a hermetically sealed uh-huh. tube. And he's all like, oh, mother. And then we'll get into the weird payoff with that at the end where it's not a payoff at all. I was just like, why even keep that? I don't, I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> well, all right, then. On to issue four. Wait, wait, no, there's still more. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, we, we get, our, we get the introduction of Baxter Stockman. That's yes. Yes. You're right. And the the sea of Mauser bots. Like we get to see the Mau. We saw it slightly in issue one, but we see the Mauser bots again. Like I, I, I obviously they would put those in for like a quote unquote into the turtle story. But I just think that's really cool. Yeah, but they're like flying around now. They're not the ones with the legs. Like I, I know well, yeah. technology is going to advance like over time. Exactly. And of course, if you can like make them fly, it's way more productive. But I was just like. Oh, those just look like lame drones that like Mysterio would have or some bullshit like that. So like, I don't care about this. <laughs> the other thing that I like is, once again, this feels like a love letter, like a send off to the turtles like Peter Eastman and, and I always do that. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. <laughs> I'm dumb. Anyway, we hear Casey Jones battle cry, the Gungala. I, I, yeah. I find that. It's dumb. It makes no sense. It's very dated, but he says it in it, and I thought that was great. Also, I have to agree with Casey. Those topping choices that Leonardo picks oh, are yeah, fucking terrible. terrible. <laughs> it's pineapple. Uh, what was it? Pineapple, ham, and jalapeno. <laughs> I, I don't see anything wrong with this. Oh, God. No. You don't no. Put pine- no. no pineapple on pizza. Yeah, you do. It's good. No. It's a mortal sin. No. <laughs> Especially, they're New Yorkers. Like, the turtles are New Yorkers. They should know that that's a mortal (laughs) sin. I think they have it right. (laughs) Lastly, for this issue, I don't know if it was a reference. I tried looking it up, but we see a street sign that says Sullivan Street and Bleecker Street. We see when Casey Marie Jones, the daughter of April and, and Casey Jones, she comes out. It's later revealed, I think, in this issue that it's the same street where her father died. But I also was wondering if it's like a, a like Easter egg to something in real life or something like that. The only thing I could find of is in the original, the, the 1990s Ninja Turtles, like the 1989 one, the one that we did a review. Our listeners, go listen to that if you have not. <laughs> Mikey makes a joke about being like 11th and bleaker. And then he's like, nope, it's 9th Street. So I don't know if it's something to that as well. But anyway... I just thought that was interesting. Okay. I, I did have to go back because like when I saw her look at the sign later on, I was like, why does she care about that sign? And then I had to go back and then I saw like one of the the guards was standing like right underneath the sign. I was like, oh, okay. I get it now. Look at me doing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like, so I, I, by now, you know, we haven't talked about it much, but like by now you sit there and you actually meet Casey Marie Jones. You realize that Casey Jones is no longer, her father is no longer there. Casey and April were married. April didn't realize that she was pregnant until after the blast that kind of, that killed off Leonardo, that killed off Casey, that dismembered her, that knocked Mikey out. Across the fucking city, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't care anything about Casey Marie, honestly. Yeah. And like the big reveal that like we'll get into as we get to that issue, but like I that doesn't do anything for me either. Like I just I don't care. Yeah, I at first I was like, okay, I'm liking this, but this it felt rushed, this whole five issues. Like it feels like it needed three more, maybe. I don't know. Like, cause there was nothing flushed out with the KC stuff, and it just feels very rushed. Yeah, I just I, I feel like you could have just not had it. It could have been somebody else, honestly. Yeah. Cause the the secret that gets revealed later on, I don't think really impacts the story at all. Yeah. So Yeah. Not really. I just um I, I don't know. Anyways, you got anything else for issue three? I'm good. Nope. On to issue four, Blood in the Snow. Mikey becomes Casey's sensei, Casey Marie Jones' sensei. Uh, we learn that Casey is also somewhat of a mutant. <laughs> we get the story of Donnie and Splinter and the start of the lost years, in my opinion, anyways. We get the siege on the Baxter compound. We uh, we learn, since we were talking about it, we learn that Casey is a teenage mutant ninja daughter. Right. Which she is. She's a TMND. <laughs> secondhand radiation. <laughs> it's mutagen. I, I, what? They say that secondhand's worse than actually firsthand. So. <laughs> secondhand mutagen. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not gonna lie. I you've never read it, Jeremy. I don't know if Michael's read it, but in uh, there's a it's kind of like a Dark Knight Returns ripoff where Spider Man. It's called Spider Man Rain. It's established that Mary Jane dies because of her contact with Spider Man because you know the the from the old cartoon like song he's got radioactive spider blood oh. and it's implied that due to his loving her if you will the panky panky yes knocking boots that he basically was constantly giving her radiation poisoning and along with that D yeah <laughs> and I, I was very much at first when we find out that Casey Marie Jones has mutagen like DNA yeah. or whatever in there, I was like, are they implying that April <laughs> O'Neil fucked one of the turtles? <laughs> that, thought, that thought crossed my mind too. I was like, um, I was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. I was like, yes, Mikey finally hit it. Oh my God. No. <laughs> His little turtle came out to play. Oh my god! <laughs> Maki is swole, by the way. Just yeah, like Lord, letting yeah. you like when you're reading this book and you actually get this. We're not talking about his dong or anything like that, but like his actual physique, <laughs> his biceps and stuff like that. Like, and it, it's a stat. I can't remember if it's this one or if it's one of the last ones, but it's established that like he is going through like a transition. Like it's it's. Yeah, the mutinages is like alternating, like changing him again, yeah, like over time. So, which I thought was weird. Yeah, his his mutation is progressing. Yes, and that's why he like in the first issue he like falls from the fucking skyscraper or whatever that uh, Hiroto has and like lands face force uh, face first onto the like pavement. That's why he like survived that and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I like that. That's really cool. There's an issue that the first issue was like re-released and kind of had like behind the scenes stuff like sketches and things. One of the cool things that they have is they have sketches of like normal turtles, like the normal TMNTs and then the last Ronin to show you the like bigness difference. I don't know what the word is I'm looking for there, but like how much taller and more muscly he is compared to the regular versions of the turtles. Oh, he looks like he's been spending days on Venice Beach. I'm just saying. <laughs> What? what? Like that's all he's doing is just pumping iron, like oh, okay. just day in day out. Like he's just getting right. swole. Like all right, I <laughs> never heard that before, but okay, I see what you're saying now. He was knowing what the Rock was cooking. So. Yes, and it wasn't pizza. <laughs> Which, by the way, another uh, tally mark for me against this thing. Pizza's not even fucking mentioned in this book. God damn it! <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> When? We just talked about it. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, in the future kind of thing. Like pizza. They don't have pizza anymore. Oh, like in like present day time of the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's peasant food and they're too poor to have the equipment to make it. I guess. Like, 
Is that literally what Hiroto did? Like he banned pizza like as soon as he took over? <laughs> yeah. Like uh, that was one of his first things. He was like, those damn mutants, they love pizza. So fuck all the pizzerias. <laughs> he blew them all up. Yeah. We're starting there. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I was not hyped on the whole Casey, like Mikey becoming her sensei and stuff like that. Again, I I don't I don't care that she's part mutant or whatever, like or has mutant in her DNA. Like I just I I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it, but because I thought he was gonna have a payoff. Like in other words, she was gonna help uh Michelangelo defeat Hiroto using her like superhuman powers along with his or something, but none of that, like she literally does nothing. Like that's my biggest thing is it feels, which I'll get into that. Like these movies or movies. Wow. These issues were delayed slightly. And anyway, I like the idea. Cause it, it like TMNT is always about like the family and since we've killed off the family, we need to add new new familia, if you will. But they did nothing with it, and it just <laughs> drove me nuts. Yeah. Yeah, like, I have to agree on that. Like, it, there was no... They set it up to be where it could be a cool story, like, as far as being him being her sensei and things like that. Like, I, I mean, it's a, another... I mean, kind of like how they started. Uh, it's just a random mutant, splinter, rat, that's training some other mutant, like a different species or whatever and a turtle so i mean you have a just the one turtle training this new mutant teenager thing <laughs> but like, <laughs> teenager thing but yeah it just it just there was nothing the only thing she did in there was i think at one point she like punched through a wall or something but that's that's about it out of anger yeah she shoves or like kicks mikey I don't know if it's in this issue or the next one, but yeah. she shoves him and he's like, whoa, because, you know, he's like roided out now. <laughs> and for her to do that, he that's, I think, the, the telltale for him. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, and that's, that was the thing I was going to mention too, like when we were talking about like how swole Mikey is, like in correlation to talking about the art. Like, I mean, you could even, you could see like just the veins and the like, the actual muscle lines yeah. in his legs and things like that. And I was like, good Lord, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was he was on one. I gotta be honest, though. There, there, one of my notes, it was one on the later issues, but it, come, it comes and goes throughout all the issues. Michelangelo and the Turtles in general look so weird without their bandanas. <laughs> right? Like, they look... They actually look like when you, you're like, oh, yeah, they would look horrifying, like like a mutant turtle. Because <laughs> they do. They look so scary and creepy without yeah. their bandanas on. <laughs> when on top of their eyes, they're like, I, I kind of went back and forth where like, I like that they were just all white. And then uh, other times I was like, no, nah, I wish they had pupils. Like, I wish they had like irises and pupils and stuff like that. Yeah. So I kind of went back and forth on that. Yeah, I have to agree. And like with the without the bandanas, it just it's like one green blob, like right there as a face. And so there's no like <laughs> there's no definition or anything. So that's funny. I don't like this is the one and only story, I think, where I didn't like how they kind of went back and forth Same. between the Baxter siege and the story of Splinter and Donatello, which. I thought it was a really good done story. Like, I liked the story of how they fell or whatever. But yeah, I, I didn't like the back and forth on this one. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Michael. This is the issue that I'm referring to with like them going back with like they're jumping around all over the place with flashbacks. And I'm like, stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just stop. This is why I feel like I think you should have added like three issues and each issue is devoted to how the turtles were lost like whatever order you want to but just one issue is just devoted to how Raphael is gone one issue is devoted how Leonardo and Casey is gone and then the other is Splinter and Donatello and then you can tell the other like formulating their plans to like take down Hiroto and stuff like that I will say though one of my favorite things of all of turtle things is seeing Splinter kick ass <laughs> yes. and I fucking I oh, love yeah. when Hiroto <laughs> shows up to that meeting and it's revealed that he's betraying them and Splinter just beheads three guys all at once. Yeah. <laughs> That's so badass to me. 
Yeah, yeah and those guys had no clue either. And they, yeah. they seem like little scaredies anyways, but like mm-hmm. just through the dialogue and stuff like that. And yeah, Splinter didn't even think I was like, wow, no mercy Splinter. I've never seen that. I don't yeah. ever remember seeing that. Which I like in that, like I didn't understand why they were so hell bent on getting this peace treaty thing signed or whatever before Hirotu got there. I'm like, it, it, it just never, there was like, they never got it signed, obviously, but, and nothing, well, I guess nothing happened to them because they were dead anyway. But I mean, <laughs> it's just like, wow, they were like scared, almost scared to not have it signed before he showed up. It was just kind of weird. They might've been planning behind Hiroto's back. There might've been yeah. a fraction or something with the, uh, Oroku clan. Maybe. I don't know. That's something that was never really addressed, but it does seem odd. Yeah. Because, I mean, they were already sitting there, like, as they were planning that, the stuff that was already going down in New York with Leonardo and Casey and all that, like, that, all that was happening at the same time, or it had yeah. just happened beforehand. So, odd. I, I agree. Odd. <laughs> I thought Baxter's story was a little weak. It's kind of cool, but at the same time, it's a little weak. I was honestly... Somewhat surprised we didn't see a giant fly man. Yeah. But I know they've changed it over the years and stuff like that. Yeah. It seems like, is it the IDW? I don't know. It seems like they're kind of not making him a fly man anymore. And his whole yeah. shtick is just the Mauser bots. It's not the Mauser bots and he's a fly man. He's a tech guy. Yeah. Which I know other iterations, there's like, he's not a fly man at all. And someone else is. But anyway. It, it seems like maybe that's what they were going for is like, we don't need him to be a mutant. And plus, I think it's maybe it's also because it would clash with Hiroto because Hiroto was very much like, I will purge the world of these mutants. And if he has, if his right hand man is a mutant as well, he would be like, uh, get out of my face, you disgusting, you know, fly yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. I think that because it's been a while since I've read the IDW one, but I think he is just a normal. Like I said, tech guy for the Shredder, or has been has done tech for the Shredder through that series. So I think you're right. I think you're right. I know that like we've got a series coming up, coming out soon. That's the Team and T, the Lost Years, and it deals with, I believe, what we're getting a hint of. Like when Michael Ninja goes to get to figure out what happened to Donatello and Splinter, like he just says he kind of goes off from there and just travels. Mm-hmm. to find a place to live the end of his life or whatever the case is. I think... <laughs> Sorry. He went to a colder climate because he's he's warm or cold. What, 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 what are reptiles? Are they warm-blooded? Cold-blooded. Cold-blooded? Okay. I, I'm, I'm a moron, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, he goes there because he's cold-blooded and he's hoping that the winter will kill him. <laughs> And I just think that's kind of funny and dark at the same time. But instead, he just like hibernates. And then when it becomes springtime, he wakes up. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> no, you're good. So yeah, I think that's what this book is going to deal with. I could be completely wrong. I haven't gotten it. I've ordered my issues, but I haven't gotten any of them in yet. But that's kind of, I assume that's what that's going to be about. It's just like the in-between of, after everybody's died and when we get to the actual last Ronin storyline. So I don't know what else it could be, honestly. Yeah, it's got to be a prequel being that it's called The Lost Years. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, Like, they also, we'll get into that, but the epilogue for this story is like, there could be a sequel. But anyway. Uh, Man, don't. mm. All right, so (laughs) we get on number five? Yes. We get into the issue five? Sure. Because I've got issues at the end. Issue five, The Last Ronin. The conclusion to the story, the final battle of Haratu and Michelangelo. And it's just Michelangelo. It's it's not Casey because she doesn't do anything. She doesn't mean anything. She's, <laughs> she is she is pretty much pointless to the story. Yep. Yeah, she her a whole purpose is to help April, I don't know, open a water pump or something. Her mama. <laughs> yeah. I gotta be honest though, I feel like the design of Casey Marie Jones, like her like ninja outfit, if you will, is treading on like copyright infringing because she looks like like a member of the Bat family. Right. She she looks like spoiler. It's very like my note literally was like, is is Casey a member of the Bat family now? Like what's happening? (laughs) 
Yeah, no, yeah. It, I I cannot stand the the choice of the the outfit, honestly. It the haircut, everything, I'm just yeah. like, okay. I don't like it. I don't like it. So I I wish it was more ninja, I guess. Yeah. Something something more reminiscent of the turtles is what would have been nice. But whatever. Is what it is. I thought Hiroto's like nanotech suit of a shredder suit was stupid. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> no. It's <laughs> I, I called him Cyber Shredder. Oh fuck that. Or instead of T one thousand, he's the Shred one thousand. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I didn't like I I thought at first when he had the helmet and like his knives came out, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. But then the rest of the suit, just in general, I was like, this is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of my stuff is like beef with the ending. So if y'all got something else. Um, funny thing with this issue is Michelangelo hits Shred 1000 with, I think <laughs> like a, I don't know what it is. It's like a sensor thing. Anyway, the onomatopoeia fort is punk. P-O-N-K, and I just, that made me giggle when I was reading it. <laughs> it, it, it. I wish I had the the sound bite, but it reminds me of that little, like, bonk noise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what literally played in my head, which, just on a little tangent, too, when I was reading all this, did my, uh, Michael, I don't know, I was about to call you Michelangelo. <laughs> well, Michael, I don't know when you were reading this, but did you also have, like, I read everything in their voices from, the, like, the 1989, like, movie. Like, I everybody's voice sounded, like, from that movie to me. <laughs> it wasn't everybody for me, but it was, like, Michael, like, when I'd sit there and start reading Michelangelo, I would start adding that voice in there just to kind of see how it sounded. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not something that I kept doing. But I did, I did do that every now and then, but it was just Michelangelo. So, I did a little bit of the same. I didn't have as much. I mean, I, I'm i not one that necessarily does a lot of the different voices in my head whenever I'm reading. It's just never been a huge thing. But there were times that, like, it kind of triggered that voice in my head, like Michelangelo's. I never really did. I was kind of with you, Michael. It was only, only Michelangelo's, but mainly just because he, of course, had the most. Oh, crud. What's the... Dialogue. Dialogue. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> So that bit, I'm sure if they had the others had had more, I probably would have would have read it like theirs too. But yeah, I just had his coming in every now and then. The best one for me is like whenever I get a Batman Joker story, and I can sit there and do list like read the book, but either I'll swap back and forth between Ledger's Joker and Hamill's Joker, mm. <laughs> just just depending on either the artwork. Or the way that this being wrote, and then it just depends on my mood too. So yeah. like it's it's a whole trifecta of like, uh, what am I feeling today? Is it <laughs> hello, Batsy, or is it you know something different? Like yeah. So just as a, like a random side thing with that is you know we're watching the Star Wars the whole thing with our sons, and um, you know we're we're down towards uh, in the last movie the ninth movie and it, it was funny just listening to luke to, to mark hamill talking like i didn't back whenever these were released i didn't know he was the voice of joker i didn't pay that close no. attention <laughs> it wasn't until you know obviously we were doing all this that i really started knowing all that and so just listening to him talk I, there are moments where i hear the joker and what he's saying like kind of his voice and everything i thought it's kind of funny <laughs> one of us <laughs> I did not like the handling of like it needed to have more emotional impact but when we learn that Michelangelo like we see we kind of didn't talk about this but earlier in the story Michelangelo has uh, Splinter's journal I I don't know if it's a journal but it's, it's the book where that teaches you ninjutsu and all this stuff and at the last page of that journal he wrote no peace. N-O, peace. Well, it's revealed that right before the final battle, he writes something down else in it, and then it's revealed that it's no peace. K-N-O-W, peace. And I, it's very just like, and this is what's on the page. Bye. And I just think it needed more of an, like, an emotional impact there. It just didn't have it. And I thought that was very poorly handled to me. 
I also to to build on that, you know, his last his dying words were essentially like this was splinters, this will teach you everything you need to know. The most important lesson is mine on the back. Yeah. I'm like, you son of a bitch. What do you mean the most important lesson is what you wrote on the back? <laughs> like, this is Splinter's journal, for God's sakes. <laughs> you get your shit together. I would have loved being that Mikey's the funny one if it was like a joke. And like at the end, it's like whatever. Order two extra large pizzas <laughs> with everything or something. I don't know. Like that would have been a great like, oh, yeah. Mikey got his humor back or something like that. But no anchovies. Yeah, yeah. Or something. <laughs> like it would have been great. Or if, or if that was even his last words or something like that. Like, let's yeah. celebrate. Let's order some pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean they blew up all the pizza? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. That's my time to go now. Blah. <laughs> 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 all right. Here, okay, so then we get this nice, like, what looks like at the very end, we get he looks like he's reunited with his brothers. Yeah. And Casey and Splinter, it looks like he's reunited with everybody that has passed. And it kind of gives you this idea of maybe it was a dream because even Mikey himself is like, was it a dream? Mm. Do y'all wit? Because, mm. like, after this, I did not, sorry, I did not take it that way, but that's an interesting take that all this was just a dream. So, well, it ruins it with the like what you were talking about the epilogue at the very end. Yes, where it's you see uh, Casey Marie and you know she she's planning the future. I wish that when I got that epilogue, I wish they would have left it as a was it a dream? Because like like you were saying, as far as like the director's cut or whatever for the first issue, you get the normal like IDW looking turtles, and so they're not roided up and stuff like that, and like it's the the color palette is different. Yeah, like you can tell, it's definitely a, a, it's not the same, whatever. But it still could have been a whole like, was this all a dream? I think I would have liked that better because it would have been like one of those open ending things. Like, was it a dream? Was it not a yeah. dream? Like, I actually, I one hundred percent agree with you there. Like, I yeah, they should have. That would have been a better ending than like, oh nope, we're gonna create more turtles, which. I'm like, what? Why? Like, why? Like, why are you trying? Like, who? Who's to say that these turtles won't be monsters? You know what I mean? Like, they won't be Toka and Razor, if you will. A callback to the the sequel turtle movie. Like, I just, I don't know. Uh, I, I too didn't like the ending. The only thing I had for the ending is the shirt that she's wearing. The yellow shirt that she's wearing is a callback to the 2012 animated oh, yeah. Nickelodeon show. April O'Neil wears that exact same shirt. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. But yeah, I, I didn't like I didn't like the epilogue as well. I really like your idea that it was a dream that never once occurred to me at all. Yeah, that's what they should have done. <laughs> <laughs> well, because like it could have been or it could not have been. So yeah, because I also have to have, I have to agree on that because I I definitely did not think of it as being a a dream either. But you know, looking back on it now and think. That would have been really, really cool to to leave it off as that, and a better way than just saying like, "Oh, we're just going to recreate them," basically, because now, like again, it's almost like they're wanting to relit, like bring back their personalities into into Michelangelo and their glory days. Yeah, yeah, into <laughs> into Michelangelo, Leonardo, and all that kind of stuff. Like bringing those in there, and it's like, well, no, you don't want like you're not re- you can't recreate them. I mean, they're that's a whole different thing. So, and it would be better off that way too just to like as a continuation of a storyline if you didn't want to just be done with like that though that style of the turtles you could just be like oh we're just gonna keep going this way kind of thing or something yeah yeah i think the term you're looking for is it was sequel bait yeah i don't like it <laughs> yeah yeah I, I didn't either <laughs> yeah no i i i agree i yeah, like I said, they should have... That would have been great to leave it ambiguous. Most great stories end sort of ambiguously, like at least comics. Like if we're talking about the uh, Dark Knight Returns, I mean, I know Frank Miller made sequels to it, but it's left ambiguous in that one. And this feels like it's very much trying to do its own, like this is Dark Knight Returns, but with with turtles. Yeah. And anyway, yeah. The, the killing joke. The kill. Yes, the killing joke. Yes. Does he kill, ba- does he kill Joker or not? Yeah, since we were talking about Batman and Joker, yeah, yeah, man, I think I'm gonna bump. <laughs> I think I'm gonna bump my whelming down now that you oh, said that. Oh. I want to say I'm whelmed by this now because that would have been a better. 
Because like, just rip those pages out of the back. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I will say there's a hardback edition coming for this. I will be buying it. It will be something that is on my shelf just because I'm a huge Ninja Turtles fan and I would very much like to have a copy of this because it, yeah. it feels, like I said, it feels like The Dark Knight Returns, but for, for Turtles. And anyway, yeah. I agree. Do y'all wish they would have held which turtle this was till the very end? Like, not, not sit there and say that it was Mikey, but like hide it throughout the, the, the series. Well, then by doing that, you'd have to keep the death of the other ones hidden till then. So I don't think that that could work really. So, so my idea would be to keep the death hidden because we get the last death in four, issue four. Mm-hmm. So by the end of issue four, you would know who the last turtle was going oh, okay. into battle. I now. see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So you're saying like issue two comes out and you're like, okay, well, it's not Raph. And right. then issue three comes out and it's like, okay, well, it's not Raph and it's not Leonardo. So it's got to be either Donatello or Michelangelo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been cooler. It probably would have gotten annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll get into why that once we, we get Jeremy's input on that. But yeah, anyway. Uh, like, yes and no on mine. I think knowing that it's Michelangelo kind of adds a little bit more emotion to the to the story. Kind of like what we were talking about as far as, you know, he's the he's the happy-go-lucky, the, the joking kind of turtle. And then, uh, you know, seeing through this, he he's having, like, he loses that, obviously, through, throughout this. And that kind of adds a little bit more of a connection emotion to him as a character, I think. But at the same time, uh, I I think it'd been cool to, as a guessing game type thing throughout the next issues to really like process of elimination to see what, that's a bad way to put that, but you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that you just kind of figure out who it is. So it's, it's just one of those like go both ways I think well because the other thing is, is that I didn't really like the banter between Mikey and the mental turtles like there was a like they were really putting him down like mentally oh. like his his mental projection of them was constantly them putting him down yeah. yeah and like I hate that he thought that about his brothers that like because they weren't always like that like yes brothers fight and scuffle and whatever else but like I hate that his his thought of his brothers was just that he was the no good, the whatever. Like it, it. I don't know. Well, it bothered me. I think that also comes would be coming from the guilt that he has from still being the last one. Like yeah. it, that being alive. Like you just make it in your head. You make it so much worse than what it ever would have been in, in whatever was in real life. So I think that's part of just him just beating himself, him on his own self up kind of yeah 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 that's what i was gonna say is i think they're more projections of his own insecurities and as jeremy was talking about that like this like april o'neill talks about it she got like therapy for losing casey you know when she was blown up and all this stuff and she has survivor's guilt and that's exactly yeah. what michelangelo has like these aren't i don't think these are how he recalls his brother's this is how he is projecting his own self-worthiness on like them saying the things that he thinks about himself. Yeah. And yeah, I, but I, I think April, I don't know if April says it, but like, I think she said something to him or maybe I'm just thinking that as like a joke, but she said something about like, you could have used some therapy as well or something <laughs> like that, which I agree. Like, cause he was oh. very, very yeah. troubled by the end of all this. I wanted to get back though, when you were saying about like, would you like to have that? So when issue one came out, it was published on October 28th, 2020. The second issue came out February 17th, 2021. Oh, that was four months later. Issue three was published May 26th, 2021. That's three months later from issue two. Blood in the Snow was published September 22nd, 2021. That's four months later from that. And then The Last Ronin, the last issue, was published April 27th, 2022. Yeah. Seven months later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have, I don't know, waiting for, like, waiting all that long <laughs> to find out it's Michelangelo, I think would have had some blowback, I think. 
but I don't know. Like that's a you know multiverse thing. (laughs) So by the end of the fourth, you would have known though. Yes, but that's still seven, uh, eight. uh, I can't do math. Eleven months until you find out. Right, almost a year. Yeah, yeah. No, it'd still be a good wait or whatever, but it's not like you got to issue three and then you had to wait seven months to find out that it was Michelangelo. Whereas in reality, you you got to issue four and to get the conclusion of the story, you had to wait seven months. You know what I mean? So yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know if I agree with that, but yeah. <laughs> It'd be like it's hard on on this one because you know in with comics, like for me, you know, the one of these you can read in 30 minutes an hour kind of thing just depending so you re-blast through it and then you're like oh crap I gotta wait another three four months or whatever however long I don't even know if they release like the next issue when it's coming out or anything like that but uh, it's just it's different with that like, to me with like comics than in like in the book I know there's people who will sit down and read a book in a day but it'll at least be like a full like 10 12 hour day that they'll take to read a, a book that's in a series or something but yeah, I'm. I'm definitely glad I don't have to worry about that waiting to find out. <laughs> yeah, that's honestly a lot of the times I read back issues more than I read current runs, which I know is not how comic book shops make their money. But at the same time, it's just like that's why I, I, that's how I weed out the the good with the bad. But yeah, I I agree with you, Jeremy. Like that was the other thing too when I'm looking at this up is issue two came out. And then they re-released issue one, like the director's cut, at like a more expensive price. <laughs> so people were like, where's issue three? <laughs> Which I'll get into, I was trying to find stuff on sales and stuff. Issue two per CBR.com with over 130,000 copies printed. TMNT, The Last Ronin, issue number two has broken the record for the largest print run for a single comic book in IDW's publishing 22-year history. Wow. wow. So it is, it made the most money for them than they've ever done. Issue three, uh, I couldn't really find the numbers for this, but issue three, during the week of the release of, of issue three, just the week, it was the best-selling comic book in the United States, and it even dethroned Batman. So just the week of the release, by the end of the month, however, it did not beat Batman, but it did beat Amazing Spider-Man and X-Men. So I think it ranked seventh of, of out of like the top 10 Dang. for that month, issue three did. So, I mean, it did quite well. I just think the pacing of it, because it petered off as far as sales went on for like issue four and then the final issue, which is kind of sad, but... It, I guess it is what it is. I, I know comic books take a lot of time. I don't understand sometimes why they don't get ahead of the schedule before releasing the first issue. But I know sometimes they do that because they don't know how well it'll sell. But like, let's be honest. You're getting a story from the original creators. Like, it would have sold like hotcakes. Yeah. Well, and it did. Yeah. Like, it sounds like anyways. So. Yes. No, it, it, I mean, we're getting, because it's coming out, it came out, late 2022, but the hardback edition, it's getting a video game. Yeah, it, it, it's probably one of the bigger turtle stories that's out there as far as like sales go. Yeah. I was going to say, this is the biggest turtle story that I know of. Not that I'm like the biggest turtle reader or anything like that, but I'm just saying like talking to people when they when you talk about the turtles, nobody sits there and says, oh, you got to read this, this storyline. Oh, you got to read this trade or anything like that. Like it's just people just genuinely like just like the turtles. But this is the story that everybody's like, yeah, if, you know, you, you want to get in the turtles, read this story because you don't have to know anything beforehand. Like, and it spells everything out for you. Yeah. So uh, since you mentioned it, I was going to sit there and say one of the reasons why I think we picked this one was because the video game was coming out. That was really like another like plus on top of that. So good pick, Jeremy. Thanks. Ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're talking about like other medias of this story, I just want to have a mention because I was looking it up and it just popped up on my YouTube. There is a just a amateur like 3D artist and animator. His channel is Speedo Kagan. 
S-P-E-E-D-O-K-A-G-G-E-N. He made the scene where Michelangelo is going to commit seppuku in like a 3D render and it looks, the rat doesn't look that great, but everything else looks fucking phenomenal. Our listeners, go check him out. It looks really fucking cool. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I might have to go give that a watch then. Yeah. So. All right. Well, y'all got anything else to this? I think I'm good. Yep, that's it for me. Cool. Jeremy, where can they find you at? They can find me on Twitch under the handle Night Fury GTO. That's Night with a K. And you can find me here. Richard, how about you? If you want to contact me directly, I have a Twitter. My Twitter handle is Night Curry. Night like day and night and curry with a K. If you want to contact us directly, we have a Gmail. Our Gmail is comicallycomicspodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to check us out on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram, you can check us out under the name Comically Comics Podcast. Awesome. You can find me on Instagram and eBay at 22 underscore comics. You can also find me on YouTube at 22 comics. <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did making it. With all that being said, thank you well, Jeremy. Bye, Jeremy. Cowabunga. Bye, Jeremy. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Wise man say, forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. <laughs> <laughs>